Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with a very exciting guest, friend, entrepreneur, investor, Adrian Aoun. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes. Adrian, you are the co-founder and CEO of Forward. Please give a little bit of background on yourself and describe what Forward is and what problem you're trying to solve. Sure. So my background, just to kind of set the stage, is not from the world of healthcare. I'm much more kind of your standard tech entrepreneur. So I just started a few different companies. I started one in the AI space that Google bought a few years ago, then helped kick off a lot of the AI efforts over at Google, and then spent a few years running special projects for the CEO over there. So created some of the alphabet companies like Sidewalk Labs, etc. And then basically what happened for me was someone in my family had a heart attack a few years ago. So kind of went from not really paying attention to healthcare to just overnight realizing how important it is and frankly how broken it is. So spent a little while just kind of watching the experience that, that he went through. And one of the things I realized is that, you know, a lot of people spend their time trying to go into the existing healthcare system, tweak a couple things and get it to play nice. A, I don't come from the world of healthcare and B, I'm not sure that's even possible. So uh, we decided to take an entirely different approach. We decided to kind of rebuild the entire healthcare system soup to nuts. So it's a tall order, might take us a few decades to even start, but we're two years in and we've got forward locations all around the country now, so uh, East Coast, West Coast, etc. And basically, we said, why don't we start with the doctor's office, but reimagine it um, using technology. So as a company, we're vertically integrated, which means we build our own hardware, our own software, we construct locations, we run Ford University to retrain our doctors on how to operate, we run our own blood labs, we do everything soup to nuts. And it seems to have worked out pretty well for us. So we have a location in San Francisco that we launched about 18 months ago. It's now the largest concierge provider in the Bay Area, and it's doing super well. We launched uh, Los Angeles about eight months ago. Same thing, largest concierge provider there. We launched Orange County just recently. We're in process of launching Glendale, launching uh, the East Coast. You know, we're, we're young, just two years in, but it seems to be going pretty well. And I want to walk through the idea map a little bit of forwards. When you first said, hey, I'm going to take on healthcare, how is your sort of idea in terms of where to start or where to even tackle? How has that evolved over time? Yeah, so believe it or not, it probably hasn't evolved very much, which either means we're really stubborn or maybe we got some things right. I'll tell you in a few years. But we started with the really with the kind of customer perspective, right? Or as we call them members. And all I really said is Day one, when I said I wanted to kind of start forward, all I did was I went up to a couple pieces of paper, and I'm a terrible artist, but I drew some pictures. And I said, this is what I would like my healthcare experience to be like. I would like to walk into a place, walk up to an iPad to check in. It should detect my phone in my pocket, pull up my account, show me what I'm going to get through today. Great. That's what we built. Then... Let's say it's your first time at Ford. I figure, well, you know, maybe we should learn a couple things about you, right? What we call getting a, a baseline of understanding of your health. And we do that in a few different ways. So you start and you walk up to a body scanner that we've developed. And it's beautiful and it's pretty cool. You walk up to it, you stand on it. And 
it takes a bunch of different measurements. It takes about 90 seconds or so. So, for example, it takes your super standard, your height, your weight, your temperature, BMI. But then it uses what's called red light spectroscopy to shine light through your hand and look at how blood is flowing. That gives us measures of things like your heart rate, gives us measures of your arterial elasticity. Believe it or not, we now can, in our latest body scanner, even do a full EKG on you as well while you're standing there, as well as looking at respiratory rate, body composition. And my favorite part is it actually rotates you around around. It takes a full millimeter precision model of your body that you can see on the screen. Then we can measure every part of it, your arms, your chest, your waist, hips, etc. And we use that to go ahead and tell you, hey, if you do these exercises, you can bulk up. And if you do these diets, uh, you can slim down. That's step two. Right after that, what we do is we also draw your blood. But again, I was sick of the old world where I have to kind of go hop around a city to get my blood drawn or Even if my doctor did it, they send it out and I have to wait a week to get the results. So we built the blood processing facilities right there on site at each Ford location. To draw your blood, it takes us about 12 minutes to process and the results are sent straight into the exam room. The third thing that, that, uh, that we wanted to build, which is really important to me, I really like data and I really like new technology. And I got my DNA sequenced a bunch of years ago and I took that to my, my old doctor and he just looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. Well, at Ford, we sequence your DNA. We're looking at two things. The first is variants that you have that might tell us which diseases you're more at risk for. And the second is we're building what's called a pharmacogenetic profile. It's a a large term, but really what it means is we're looking at which medications your body is likely to respond well to based upon your genes. Now, all this information that we've now collected, when you walk into the exam room, there's a beautiful touch screen on the wall with a model of your body and all the data has been overlaid on top. This is awesome because now you and your doctor can start to collaboratively work on it together as opposed to, you know, in the old world where they're like kind of sitting behind the screen looking and they don't even let you look at your own profile, which always kind of confused me. Now, anything that you and your doctor talk about, the screen has almost a Siri-like interface where it's picking up the information and representing it live on the screen as well as any sensors your doctor uses in the exam room a stethoscope an ekg an otoscope all that data plums in live to the screen so if they take the stethoscope to you you literally see your heart beating on the screen in real time all this feeds into one big rich profile and the idea is that as we're getting more and more data we're able to use machine learning um, and ai techniques to start to tell you this is the best treatment path forward for your conditions or just if you want to optimize yourself as well. Now, we don't just leave you there. What we do from that point is we send you home with sensors that are kind of relevant to your conditions so that we can go ahead and monitor your progress over time. And then we have a whole team, a separate team, a 24-7 team of nurses and algorithms watching over all that data in real time. And if you're not making progress towards your goal, they're going to reach out via your mobile app and start to kind of iterate with you and work on and kind of be by your side. So you asked how did we kind of ideate or how did we come up with all this? Well, fundamentally, I just said, what would I want my healthcare experience to be like? And what's interesting is not not a single idea I just mentioned is actually that novel. It's just novel to healthcare, right? Every other part of my life, walking up to an iPad seems perfectly normal or being able to communicate with someone via phone seems perfectly normal or putting something up on a screen on a wall seems perfectly normal. In healthcare, the norm is, you know, kicking you when you walk in the door. And so we said, step one, let's just not kick our customers and we'll probably do the right thing from there. There haven't been that many mega unicorns in, or decacorns rather, in in healthcare. You know, one medical successful company, but it's not a decacorn. You know, Flatiron was a successful company, not a decacorn. Why is that? And because... You know, you had a sign, a uh, billboard saying, you know, because Elon hasn't done it yet. So I know you're not going for a small outcome here. 
why haven't there been debt concurrence in healthcare and how, how might forward be, become one? Yeah. So honestly, I'm probably the wrong person to answer because as much as I'm now quote unquote in the world of healthcare, I don't understand healthcare. I don't spend any time trying to learn about the industry. Um, the industry is mostly a bunch of like very confusing incentives, a bunch of bureaucracy, a bunch of players that fundamentally are bad actors. So from the outside, without without too much knowledge, maybe what I would throw out there, this could be right, it could be wrong, is that maybe trying to play with all these players and deal with the existing system is not going to get you very far. So that's why we said, you know what, let's just do an end run around the system. So we're, we're a consumer products company at our core, right? We build products that consumers want. Those consumers are our members. Those consumers are also our doctors. Let's treat them like consumers and let's build products that they want as opposed to stuffing things down their throat, which is how the existing healthcare system treats it. That so far seems to work well for us. So our model is that we charge $149 a month. We don't charge for co-pays. We don't charge. There's no upsells. There's no extra for the blood test. There's no extra for the body scan. And we don't bill your insurance. So we really are an entirely parallel system. Now, there's a pro and a con to this, right? On one side, you might say, wow, you vertically integrated the whole thing. That's awesome. That, that's why you're going to be successful is just because you're rethinking the whole thing from the ground up. And you know what? In 10 years, we might look back and say, yeah, that's why we were successful. We might also look back and say, that's why you failed, right? Because we have one of the most complex businesses startups ever seen. We're, you know, just a couple years in and we're a few hundred people working on our team by necessity, not by desire, right? And when you look at that, it's a challenge, right? So it's, it's the blessing and it's the curse of Ford. Yeah. Are there any people who are remotely trying to do something similar? Like, who's it? What's the close? Is it Oscar doing a full end to end? Like, what's the closest? No, Oscar's not not really uh, not a competitor. But who else is doing like full stack end to end? Yeah. So, so in the world of healthcare, I'm not sure that I've seen. I mean, there's tons of people doing full stack. There's very few that are doing that with a true technology underpinning. At least in the U.S., we've seen nobody else um, go after that in any kind of real way. Though, frankly, I hope there are more. Healthcare, healthcare is a big problem, and we need a lot of people to solve it. We don't think we don't a consider this a winner-take-all market, and b, frankly, like the absurdity of the notion that like no, we're going to solve healthcare. You stay out is just a little absurd to me, right? Where on the other hand, in some of the Asian countries like China, I think there are some innovations that are that are springing up. If nothing else, because every time we announce any new product or do any launch, we get a flood of people that come in that take a lot of pictures and we go, wait a minute, what's going on here? So, you know, presumably there are some people that are trying to either copy or, or take hopefully the good parts of Ford and export it. Um, and again, you know, healthcare, healthcare, just to put in perspective, the magnitude of the problem, right? So there's 7.6 billion people on the planet, less than 2 billion of them have access to any form of real care. So how absurd is it that in the year 2018, we can get the entirety of the world's information via Google and a smartphone to the middle of India for free, but we can't get basic healthcare there. So our goal at Ford is to build the first healthcare system at scale. Now, let me kind of put that in perspective. When you think of scale in the world of technology, what do you think of? Think of Google with 3 billion daily users, Facebook and Apple with almost 2 billion daily users. Again, there's only 7.6 billion on the planet. That's real scale. When you think of scale in the world of healthcare, what do you think of? Well, let's take Kaiser, the one everyone talks about. Kaiser has roughly 11.7 million lives. That's less than 3% of the United States. If Kaiser was a tech company, you would have never heard of it, and you wouldn't have the app on your phone. Now ask yourself why. Why is it that Kaiser hasn't been able to get to this billion-person healthcare system? Well, it turns out that 
$200,000 a year doctors don't scale to the middle of India and the middle of Rwanda very well. So one of the things we want to do at Ford is shift as much of the rote routine nonsense from labor to technology. In other words, how much can we can we change healthcare from just being a service to also being a product? Because products scale incredibly, incredibly well. So is the is the you know if you look out in terms of like the one year vision, five year vision, is it five year vision we're gonna have forwards all over the world or it's they're forwards in the US but the, they're sort of like online like what is sort of the scaling? Yeah, so it's a great question. So first off, one of the things you have to understand about healthcare is there is no YouTube growth curve, right? YouTube <laughs> went from zero to a billion people while I blinked. It just will not happen in healthcare. And that's the pro and the con of it, right? You have to be patient and you have to think long term. To put in perspective, I'm on a 10-year vest, which I know in Silicon Valley, people are like, wait, you mean 10 months? No, it's 10 years. I'm in it for the long haul. I frankly think that that 10-year vest is probably my first tour of duty with this company, not my second, right? Now, uh, we'll be going international. Our plan is to go international much, much sooner than kind of five years. But even covering the United States will take many, many, many years, right? So again, you think of these players that are, you know, vast and huge, and whether it's the One Medicals or the Kaisers, everybody's subscale. They're tiny. They're fractions of a percent of the, of the United States, and obviously... Uh, infinitesimally small percentage of what's on the planet. So we're going to be going at it for uh, for quite a while. So have me back in 10 years and look at yeah. the progress. When does the price point come down? Yeah, that's a good question. So interestingly, you have to ask yourself why bring the price point down. So we started at 149 a month. Now, some people look at that and say, oh, only the rich can afford 149 Those people haven't met our members. Tons of our members can't frankly, can't afford health insurance, so they've signed up for Ford and as their only health plan. Now, I'm not sure I love that by any stretch of the imagination, right? I wish they had insurance as well. But you have to take a step back and think about who is 149 affordable to? So in the United States, let's take things that we used to get for free that we now pay 149 a month for. Well, we used to all use this thing called a landline. Now we all have cell phones. So there's about 335 million Americans, and I think I saw the stat the other day that there's about 360 million cell phone plans. I don't know who's walking around with two phones. It's kind of wild, especially when you consider there's 40 million children. But it turns out that basically everybody can afford a cell phone plan. Okay, well, what else? We used to have this thing on top of our TV called Rabbit Ears. We used to get TV for free. Now we all have cable bills, right? It's about 160 million households in the United States, and I think the number is like 75, 80% of them are paying for cable. So what does it tell you? It tells you that actually the first thing to think of is not lowering your price. It's building enough value. Make it important enough that everybody wants it. So that's step one for us. Now the cool thing about Ford is that we look more like a tech company than a healthcare company. And by that, what I mean is we're constantly launching new services. So we're currently working on launching dermatology, cardiology, optometry, but we're not hiring cardiologists, dermatologists, and optometrists. We're building sensors for each sensors that scan your skin, an ultrasound your doctor can take to your carotid and your heart, sensors that scan your your eyes. And what's great about this is as we're launching them, because they're technology, they don't cost us more to serve. So we're keeping our price at $149 a month, but adding all these new services. So $149 for fancy primary care, maybe that's a lot. $149 for primary care, with blood tests, with the pharmacy, with cardiology, with optometry, with dermatology. Well, at some point you start going, wait a minute, this is pretty cool. It's the first time in healthcare the price is getting better, not worse. Now, I'm cheating a little. 
Because whereas that works in the United States, that's not going to help you when you get to the middle of India and the middle of Rwanda. That's why we started the company. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, what is the price that works there? Well, maybe we can just, you know, use a whole bunch of AI and automation and move that price from 149 to 99. No, that's not going to work in the middle of India. Okay, 99 to 79? No. 79 to 49? No. 49 to 29? No. Turns out that basically no modern tech company has ever gotten to a billion person scale without fundamentally charging almost zero dollars, right? So when you think of the Facebooks and you think of the Googles of the world, what do they charge? They charge zero dollars. Now, why? Why is it? Because it turns out that when your marginal cost of adding a user, when it basically costs you very little to add a user, other business models often make more sense. Now, I'm not going to let you into all of our secrets, but at some point you'll start to see us play around with some other business models. If the CEO used to work with CEO Google, if he had asked you, hey, hey, I am thinking of being CEO of a healthcare company, you know, in a different space, but related, what lessons might you impart to say, watch out for this? Or here's what I've learned over the past two years, scaling from zero to a few hundred of how healthcare is, is different, even though I'm treating it like a consumer product. Like what might you tell? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I would say for most companies in the space is don't get preoccupied with healthcare as an industry. Everybody wants to start a healthcare company. We never wanted to start a healthcare company. We wanted to serve customers and solve problems that matter, right? The problem of the industry is, again, it's like it's so entangled, it's so intertwined, it's so complex. The incentives are so misaligned. And frankly, the majority of that comes from a lot of regulatory decisions that we've made in this country that are just disastrous. When you start to play the game of, I want to build a healthcare company, you're mostly saying, I want to step into this mess. On the other hand, if you can identify a problem that people have and you laser focus yourself on that problem, you'll likely do much, much, much better. Do you have a request for products in the sense of, you know, you invest in a lot of companies. I'm not sure if you invest in any digital health companies or biotech companies, but for any talented technologist, you know, someone at Sidewalk Lack comes up to you and says, hey, I want to solve a problem and... In, as it relates to health or biotech, are there other ideas that you say, oh, you might want to pursue this? Here's something on investment thesis, perhaps. Yeah. So uh, I can tell you a little about the company I would have started if I hadn't started yes. Ford, right? So one of the interesting things today is that we take a super narrow definition of what health means to ourselves, right? When you walk into a restaurant and you order food, isn't it a little weird that it's not in any way attached to your health profile, right? So you can almost think of a healthcare company as having a platform one day whereby, I don't know, restaurants plug into that platform to say, what's the nutrition this person needs, right? And as you start to take kind of a broader definition, you start to think about the world a little differently. Why is my Tinder profile not hooked up to my healthcare profile, right? We know for a fact that one of the things that's most important to someone's happiness and longevity is their relationships, right? Okay. So now let's go in a different direction. One of the things that's super fascinating to me today is that we treat security in our lives very differently than we treat our health. Right? So why is that? Wouldn't the world's best healthcare company also tell you that you should be careful when you're walking down a dark alley at night that's known to be fairly dangerous? 
right? Wouldn't the world's best healthcare company be super on top of domestic violence, be super on top of your drunk driving, right? Like all these sorts of things play crucial, crucial roles. And so actually, if I hadn't started Ford, I I really would have taken health very much from a non-healthcare company perspective, which is I would have started my own modern kind of police force, right? Because I actually think these things really, really um, merge over time. So when you think of police today, you call police when things are too late, right? Like a preventive police almost. What's preventive? Yeah, exactly. What does preventive police look like? What does non-violent police look like, right? It's kind of odd when you think of like the whole purpose of these of these people is to help me live longer, to help me be safer. And yet we have this image of, of officers as like the modern Terminator. Yeah. And like, this doesn't feel right. Can you imagine if your doctor walked in wearing a gun on their hip? You'd be like, this feels a little weird to me, right? <laughs> yeah. Something's not right. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity to reframe how you think about modern security in the light of, of health and in light of continual care and continual access. Yeah. And why didn't you pursue that idea? Pursue that idea? Was it because... You know, you've experienced a heart, your family heart attack, and you just say, I have to work on forward right now? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think part of what motivates somebody to work on a problem for a long time is not just that it's a good idea, but they have to have some personal attachment to it, right? And the thing is that I've, I've been very lucky. I haven't really been attacked by a bunch of people in my life. I haven't gone down that dark alley and kind of felt that fear. I know many others have. And so for me, it was, hey, I've seen this firsthand. Many, many, many people in my family, basically every male you can trace me to in my family has either had a heart attack or will have a heart attack. And so I just look at that and I was maybe a little selfish and said, well, you know, at some point I'm going to have a heart attack too so maybe i should uh maybe i should start this company now and see if we can stave that off a little lessons learned from scaling from zero to how many employees oh i don't know a few hundred at this few, point a few hundred how about let's start with assessing talent I mean, when you're hiring that quickly how do you make sure that you're you know bringing quality on at scale like what what's something non-obvious you've learned about assessing yeah. talent yeah really? so we look for three things at ford the first thing that we look for is raw intelligence right And the way I think about it is a little as if, let's use an analogy. Let's pretend you're a basketball coach, right? And two players are in front of you. You can only have one on your team. One of those players is four feet tall and plays ball with the best of them. I mean, you've never seen somebody that good. And one of them is seven feet tall, and they've literally never picked up a basketball in their life. Who do you take onto your team? Take the seven Seven footer. Because you can't teach the short guy to grow, you can teach the tall guy to play, right? And that, my friends, is why I don't play basketball. (laughs) So that's the first thing that's really important is you have to have raw intelligence. We don't know how to teach it. The second thing that we look for is skill. Now, let's define that. If you say, hey, I want to be a junior administrative assistant, no problem. You don't need much skill. We'll teach it to you. It's much easier for us to do that. And if you say, hey, I want to be a doctor at Ford, turns out you better have gone to med school and better have a license, right? So there's a spectrum there. By the time people get to me, by the time they've been through our interview process, we're really, really, really good at assessing intelligence and assessing skill. That's what everybody's looking for. So you don't have to spend too much time worrying about that. The most important thing counterintuitively to worry about is the third, which is cultural alignment. Now, there's kind of a few aspects here. The first aspect is what everybody in the industry loves to focus on, which is often called the pub test. It's like, do I want to hang out with this person? Do I want to grab a beer with them? Frankly, I could not care less about this. Maybe I want to grab a beer with you. Maybe I don't. That doesn't matter to me. The second thing is what we call the NDR. It's the no dicks rule. 
You can be the smartest person on the planet, the most skilled. If you're a dick, I don't want to work with you. Life's too short. Okay. Then the third, and this is the part that matters above everything else. Is what you want the same thing as what we want? Some people get up in the morning and they say, you know, I want to go to work because it's really important to me to make a lot of money to buy a big house. Totally acceptable. Totally fine. That's not why I started Ford. I don't care to get you rich. Some people say, you know, I want to go to work because it allows me to check off this notch and then I, my career ladder progresses and then I can become a VP of blah someday. Again, totally reasonable. Fantastic. That's not why we started Ford. We started Ford for one reason and one reason only, which is to get healthcare to the people that need it most. If that's what you wake up in the morning and want to do, then you might be a good fit for Ford. If you get up in the morning and one of those other things is important to you, don't bother calling us, right? And that's the part that I think most companies miss, which is how do you maintain the culture at scale? Everybody focuses on how do we not hire the B players, the not so bright people. Believe it or not, hiring slightly dumber people is going to affect your company a lot less than hiring people who aren't aligned with the mission. And it's much, much, much easier for smart people to identify not-so-brilliant people than it is for them to identify people that aren't aligned. And are there any non-obvious ways to identify areas of misalignment, or is it just having a frank conversation in the beginning? So what I've learned is that if I go up to you and I try quizzing you, you're just going to tell me what I want to hear. So instead, I do the opposite. I let you decide. So I go to you, and I basically tell you, hey, we don't care to get you rich. We don't care about your career ladder. Anywhere near as much as what we care about is impacting healthcare. And if you decide that you want to actually join that company, maybe it is right for you. And if you say, you know what, actually, the thing I care most about is getting that VP title, then you know what, you're probably going to self-select out. Awesome. Adrian, it's a perfect note to end on. This has been an inspiring conversation. Where can people follow you online or learn more about Forward? And if they're interested, perhaps you learn more about inquire about joining. Goforward.com. Go forward on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter, but you'd be like the first person to do so. Um, <laughs> at Adrian Awun, where uh, Awun is spelled A-O-U-N. Awesome. Adrian, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. Thanks, it's been great. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.